welcome to There is Power in Your Story podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Veronica Hardy. To learn more about me, this podcast, or my book, A Letter to My Sisters, please visit my website, drveronicahardy.com. Our guest today is Dr. Dawn Michelle Whitehead. She is the Vice President of the Office of Global Citizenship for Campus, Community, and Careers at the Association of American Colleges and Universities. Her office focuses on advancing curricular and co-curricular initiatives and practices that advance equitable participation in global learning, integrative learning, and community-based learning for all students for preparation for life, work, and citizenship. Today, join us to hear Dr. Whitehead speak about her own migration story and lineage of her family. Hi, Dawn. Could you share a little bit about yourself, both personally and professionally with our listeners? Sure. Um, so I think the first thing I would share that is relevant personally and professionally is that I am a Hoosier. Um, I'm a Hoosier by birth. I'm a Hoosier by education. Um, and for those listeners that don't know, a Hoosier is someone from Indiana. Um, and I was born and raised in Indiana and I also attended Indiana University um, uh, and uh, was a second generation Hoosier there. And I, I think it's important to acknowledge where I'm from because there are some sensibilities that come from being from the Midwest and being from Indiana in particular that despite the fact that I've lived in DC for over five years, um, despite the fact that I've had experiences living in other parts of the world and working in other parts of the world, there is something about me that's uniquely um, Hoosier-ish, if, if you will. Um, so I think that's important to know, um, both professionally and personally in terms of my orientations. Um, and then uh, I would add professionally, I am um, a person who works in higher education. Uh, my academic areas of expertise are international comparative education and African studies, particularly um, education in Ghana. And um, my mission in life, I would say, is to encourage and engage people with uh, recognizing the importance of global perspectives, whether or not you ever leave the country. But my personal passion is to uplift um, the educational experiences and to make sure that, that all of our youth have access and children have access to quality education, particularly students of color is, is an area of passion for me. And lastly, I would just say that I'm the daughter of Paula, the granddaughter of LeCue, and the great granddaughter of Ethel. And that matriarchal lineage is important to note in particular from the way that my family has been structured. Thank you for sharing about your lineage as well as the type of work you do. And also from the sounds of it, it, it really sounds like it's important for you to help students to see themselves in the classroom or the curriculum. Absolutely. I mean, if you have gone through an entire year, an entire semester, and you have never seen a single person that looks like you, you've never seen a single situation that involves people who are like you, or you have never seen anyone like you in a, a position of strength, that, that's highly problematic. Um, and it, 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 it negatively impacts our youth when they don't see themselves in the curriculum. I'll, I'll give a quick example. You know, for me, one of the things that I still remember vividly to this day 
um, it, it was in elementary school when we talked about slavery. And again, um, in my class, I believe there were two, two of us in that class, two black children. And I remember kids turning around and looking at me when we talked about slavery <laughs> and, 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 you know, that stuck with me. And I almost, you know, well, not almost, I know when I taught us history, when I taught world history, I never started my course with black folks being enslaved, even if that was what the book had started with. I said, no, we're going to, we're going to go back because I'm not going to have these students believing that this is where history began. Um, I think it's important with the writers. Um, it's important with the scientists, you know, that students need to see people who look like them in the curriculum. And I think when you look at the research um, that's been done on cultural responsive pedagogy, you see the positive benefit that comes to all students, not just to those students of color who see themselves, but it, it's so important that they see themselves in, in what's happening in school, what's happening historically. And they see that they have an important place in history, they have an important place in the current environment and they can contribute to that story. I'm glad that you shared about your experience in elementary school because mine was similar in a way <laughs> in our history class, when we got to that part in the book, there was one paragraph about the African-American or black population and it was just about slavery. And once we finished that paragraph, that was it. And it was so awkward. I remember it being awkward and uncomfortable because I was one of the only black people in the room. Mm -hmm. There might've been two of us <laughs> in the room. And as an adult, I think that for that to be communicated as the only aspect of our identity and history, mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> it is very limiting. So mm -hmm. I appreciate how you shared about your story and how in the work you do, that you really promote people being able to see themselves, people who look like them and where history actually starts, what some, mm -hmm. where some of the true starting points are. Earlier, you mentioned about, about your lineage and it sounds mm -hmm. like you mentioned some powerful and amazing women that definitely mm -hmm. led up to you and contributed to your life. So I'm wondering, could you share more about, about whether it's them your lineage, any aspects that you would like to discuss? Yeah, you know, I think it, um, I, I think, you know, one thing I'd, I'd, I'd like to start with is to just say that I, I have a, 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 I had a wonderful father. I had wonderful grandfathers, um, but I also had powerful women in my life. So I was someone who grew up um, with, with, a mother and a father who were equals, who were partners. Um, I saw the same thing with my grandparents, you know, even though my, my grandmother worked in the home primarily and my grandfather worked outside, but I saw strength um, with them. And so I think as a woman, particularly as a black woman, it was important that I saw these models of strong women as I went into the world, if you will. And so that's why I always like to start with my mother and my grandmother and my great grandmother who I never met. Um, she, she passed very early, um, but they just laid the foundation for, you know, what was important in life. So, uh, you know, my, my grandmother who, you know, had high school education, got married, um, you know, and raised four daughters with her husband 
uh, later in life, she always worked in the home. She um, took care of most of the grandchildren in the summer. So we we always joked that we went to LaCue's daycare <laughs> and LaCue's summer school uh, because my cousins and I were all you know with her. Um, and then later on, as we got older, she went to do some work with the public school system to work with younger people. Um, you know, even though she did not have formal education, she was able to to work, you know, in the schools and she did a lot of other amazing things. And she just, you know, always encouraged us, the grandchildren, the granddaughters in particular, in particular to be independent. Um, you know, she pushed us despite not having advanced education. She pushed all of us to pursue degrees and advanced degrees and certificates, and, you know, pursue the things that make you happy, but also secure credentials that you know are valuable. Um, and she instilled that same thing, like I said, to my mother. Um, and, and I think that was also important for me. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it's important and I'll acknowledge the, the, the males, but I think it really, there's really something about having strong women in your family. Um, and to see that they are equally important in the family as well as in the world. That was really important to me. And how do you think knowing your lineage, knowing their strength and even what they have accomplished has influenced you or where you are today? You know, I think it influenced there. There are so many ways, you know, I think one, the fact that every anything I wanted to pursue, they supported, my family supported. So, you know, we, we all, this will, you may say, yeah, this is Indiana, you know, even though we're from Indianapolis, but one of the things that we all did, I think my cousins didn't do it, but in my family, we all had to do 4-H. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> there was, you know, we had to do cooking one year of foods they called it we had to do clothing and then one year I did something called world explorer and no one else had done that but my mom said oh that sounds great sounds like something you'd like my grandmother said oh that's great my grandfather was the one that took me <laughs> you know in the summers you know my mom worked part-time so um and my dad worked full-time so my grandfather was the one that took me there so it was just this support you know that no matter what is it whatever I wanted to pursue they were there um, I, I think also, you know, I, I played soccer. No one else played soccer. You know, soccer grew and developed. And my dad would come out in the yard and play soccer with me. My mother never missed a soccer game. You know, even my grandparents came. So it was just kind of that support for pursuing whatever you wanted to do uh, when it came time, you know, to go to college. And, you know, I was talking about what I wanted to pursue. There wasn't anyone who said to me, oh, no, you, you know, your mom is a nurse, your dad's a banker, you need to do one of those two things, or your aunt is this. Um, it was always, you know, do what you, you know, pursue what you want. I even remember one summer, I took a class, um, you know, I, I was in Indianapolis one summer, and one of my classes I took while I was working was at the Indianapolis Museum of Art, which was, you know, just like probably a five minute walk, but, you know, you didn't walk there from my grandmother's house. And so I would, she was, she committed on Tuesday and Thursday to make dinner for me. So I would come from downtown where I worked at the bank in the summers. I would go to her house. She would cook. <laughs> and then I would go to my class. So just, I mean, that little kind of support because I lived, you know, 20 minutes away, you know, and, and just that kind of, you know, support to say, oh, you've got a class and it's right around the corner. How can I help out? Um, I think one other thing 
I would say is the knowledge of my family history um, made it clear to me, despite my school, um, you know, I think one other thing, and I don't know if this will resonate with you. Um, one thing that always stood out to me as well in school is when they would talk about, oh, let's talk about, you know, where are you from? Let's create a family coat of arms based on the country you're from. And like some other, you know, Black Americans, you know, we didn't know where we were from on the continent. Um, you know, we didn't have that information. And um, I think for me, it, it, it sort of bothered me because without, you know, sort of naming it. And, you know, I, I think I, I, I have mentioned uh, before, uh, you know, in other conversations, uh, Isabel Wilkerson's book, The Warmth of Other Sons. Um, and that book came out, I believe, in 2010. And it named and situated the migration experience that many Black Americans have. It's basically in Black folks moved from the South to the North from about 1915 to 1970. And that was a major trend. And the migration stories are very similar to the reasons that people migrated to the U.S. from other countries. But because that story went untold so long, our contributions and our version of migration were not a part of the story. And, and for me, when I read that book, it put my family history right at the center of American history, which something that I kind of wrestled with at times. I knew we, you know, it was part of American history, but you didn't see it. You know, going back to my point of if you don't see it, is it really, you know, there and how does that impact you? And so for me, knowing that we could go back to about 1846, my great, great grandfather, Lazarus Dixon, was born. Um, he served in the Civil War, married Anna Dixon. Um, you know, then they had my great grandmother, um, and then, of course, my grandfather. And just knowing that lineage, knowing we had someone who fought in the Civil War, knowing my great grandfather fought in World War One, you know, knowing, you know, it, and knowing that we have been a part of American history at every stage um, it, it is crucial. And I think when people try to imply that as Black Americans, we aren't American or, you know, or you're hyphenated American as if that's a negative. Um, but when you can say, oh, no, we've been here and we've contributed at every level, <laughs> at every period, um, I think that family legacy and that understanding, you know, you don't you don't waste time trying to argue your humanity or you don't try to waste time arguing whether or not you're American with with foolish people that don't understand, you know, what it means, you know, what what it means to be America um, with people from from many different backgrounds. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping our listeners look up the book that you mentioned by Isabel Wilkerson, the mm -hmm. the warmth of other sons. Mm -hmm. I, I just I just think of my own families. I'm originally from Pennsylvania, and with my parents, someone would live down the street who they went to elementary or high school with, down from down south, <laughs> one of the southern <laughs> states, or a cousin lived up the hill or something to that extent. And one day I was just wondering how did everyone that you grew up with just about move to this space in Pennsylvania? How does that happen? Mm -hmm. But then they started to share that one person or a couple of people would move up and look to find where the jobs were and then send back for others. And it's mm -hmm. a support system was just was being built. And I thought it, it was a beautiful story and for you, would you like to share any more about the migration story of your own family and, and what that means to you today? 
Yeah, I, I will share a little bit. And it's so interesting. And I love that, you know, as you just described, because it's the same scenario. And for us, my, so my great, my great grandfather and great grandmother, Ray Jordan and Gertrude Jordan, they move first. Um, and again, this is the quintessential migration story. You know, our stories are similar, you know, to mm-hmm. stories we, you know, we, we hear from other groups. Um, but so they moved first. Um, they made some money. They bought a very nice, large home. And then my grandfather and his brother came. Well, then the daughters came, <laughs> then another brother came and they brought their families. And at some point they all lived in this beautiful, large home. Um, that, you know, that my great grandfather was able to buy and build and, you know, along with my great, my great grandmother. And, you know, they came and, you know, they worked at International Harvester. Well, we had cousins and they went to Canton, Ohio. Then we had other cousins. They went, you know, to Harvey, Illinois. Um, Some of them, the family stayed back, you know, the same story, you know, the father went, then the mother and the children came, Others, they all moved at once, but it was that same story, as you said, that they went first and then they told people, okay, these are the jobs that are here. Okay, there's a cousin that's in Pontiac now. There's a, you know, so, you know, to me, because I always wondered, why are we in Indianapolis? Like, I, you know, I'm thinking, well, how in the world did we end up here? And, and my family, they um, were from Southern Illinois. So when they crossed from Kentucky, um, they just didn't go very far. So they were in Southern Illinois, a tiny area called Bose um, and Choate, where the towns are near Metropolis, Illinois. And I think the other thing that stood out for me is we were looking at some of the census data and we found the 1940 census. And my grandfather was working, he had told us before that he worked with railroads and he was talking about the railroad ties, but it was actually a WPA funded project, a Works Progress Administration project. And his younger brother was working on a CCC project. So it, it it was interesting to me because they, again, benefited from some of these big New Deal programs that I'd studied in school, but I they never meant as much to me because I didn't see my family in it. Um, and so it was interesting that they were able to do that kind of work, that kind of labor, and then they moved for, you know, the better opportunities, as you suggested, with the people in your community. Um, the the other thing I would, would just add in... So every year um, growing up, my family, we would always go back to Southern Illinois for our family reunion. So we had a branch of the family that stayed, Um, you know, one of them owned the the mortuary, (laughs) you know, the Jackson mortuary. Um, But it was always intriguing to me. And it wasn't until I was older that I was able to get, you know, I put it all together, talk to my mom, my grandmother about it. But we always would travel by caravan. So you know, my fam- my immediate family, we didn't do immediate or extended, you know, but like my family, my Aunt Lee and Uncle Charles and their kids, then my Aunt Christy, her fa- you know, and we would drive down to Metropolis, which was about a five hour drive from Indianapolis. And we would always stop for gas in Effingham, Illinois, but we always brought our own food. Um, and so, you know, my mom would make the sandwiches, my grandmother, it was the only time of year she ever fried chicken, she would have fried chicken, my aunt made cookie bar, like we knew what we were going to have, and we would stop, get gas, and then we would sort of, you know, everybody brought their food out, we'd eat together, then we'd get back in the car and keep going. And we did this every year until maybe, you know, in the in the 2000s, probably like maybe early 2000s, and so I, you know, at one point, 
and I think at that point there was a racial incident in in the town and so I said something to my mom I said mom why did we always bring the food and she said well it was the safest option and I mm. never even put that together I just thought oh it's our tradition everybody it's like you know <laughs> and then I learned oh no it was the tradition but it was also the tradition to keep us safe because they didn't want to expose us as children to to being treated you know improperly we were crossing over into it not that that couldn't have happened in indianapolis but in a space where historically they knew those types of things happened um so it was really really interesting and the same thing when we got to the towns as well we you know we had specific places that we had booked and things like that um so just that level of care and protection for for us as children I really appreciated appreciate now as an adult, and I didn't even put any of that together. Well, I, I'm really just sitting here and enjoying everything that you're saying, and it it even makes me reflect back on on my family. I mentioned I'm originally from Pennsylvania, but every year, the same time of year, wherever the relatives were in the country, we would converge back on North Carolina. And every, all of the relatives would be together every year. And there's such a strong significance of that to keep the family strong and for the, the newer generations to know the older generations. And I appreciate mm -hmm. how my parents did that for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's absolutely beautiful when you think about it. Um, you mentioned about African-American studies, the work you do today, again, the importance of your lineage, how, how history is critical and knowing where you are or what role that say your lineage or your populations may have played out in history and how they have contributed. Um, so my question is when you think of today and when you look at today, how might knowing all of this influence how you view the world today or what may be happening in the United States? Oh my, you know, I, I think the, the big thing is just that, um, you know, I, I, I feel like the biblical reference of when the scales, the dirt is coming off people's eyes to realize that this is something that is systemic. Um, this is something that is not based on individual hearts. This is not something based on individual actions, but what has occurred over the years um, has been something that has been systematic. It's been something that was structural um, in terms of the, the, the discrimination and the injustice. And despite all that, we have thrived in many ways and we have achieved despite um, all that's happening. So I think for me, you know, one thing that's, that, that makes it even more important is that, that we as, as Black Americans know the history, but also that our brothers and sisters of different races and cultural backgrounds need to know this history. Um, I, I have to share that I, um, one of the things that I am, and one of the things that I enjoy the most and I am uh, really committed to is I'm, I'm a volunteer at the uh, National Museum for African-American History and Culture in the Smithsonian. And I, I volunteer information services. So, you know, I help orient people when the museum is open. Um, you know, sometimes I'm placed in different galleries, answer questions. Um, and to me, that space is absolutely critical. Um, so Lonnie Bunch has, has said a quote, and I'm not going to get the quote. It's not going to be a quote. It's going to be a paraphrase where he talks about 
the museum telling the American story through the lens of African-American history and culture. And that the museum tells an American story. And it's not just telling the black story, it's telling an American story through the lens of African-Americans. And one thing that has been interesting, you know, so I, I, I went, was able to go to the museum when it first opened, you know, I've been, you know, obviously, you know, I went through training to be, to, to volunteer there. And it has been amazing and interesting to see the shift in who is coming to the museum and the visitors. And so to me at this time, it's even more critical that folks understand the history and understand that those who were able to persevere and overcome were able to overcome because of different circumstances. And it doesn't mean that people who were prevented from gaining access to education, people that were prevented um, from career opportunities, it doesn't mean that they're lazy. It doesn't mean that they failed. We have to look at those structural impediments that were put in their way. I feel like we have to have a part two to this podcast. <laughs> I mean, just, just the information and, and insight you are sharing is, is incredible. And it would be lovely to go even deeper in it. Like you said, to be able to, to open people's eyes and mm -hmm. learn more about, like you said, American history, not just labeled as black history, but this mm -hmm. is a part of American history. And for people to really start understanding what that means and what that has looked. Mm -hmm. um, so I would like to know if we're coming to our close, unfortunately, mm -hmm. what, what closing words or thoughts would you like to leave our listeners with today? You know, I, I, I think one of the closing thoughts to me is, is this will seem a little bit funny, but I think one thing is the importance of the arts, you know, in, in this space, as we talk about these things, you know, for, for me, um, you know, the warmth of other sons was amazing and opened my eyes, put things in context, but also um, Jacob Lawrence, his migration series, that series of 60 panels that chronicled this migration as well. Um, seeing those panels, was another time that my eyes were open to my family, what my family went through is, a, is something bigger. It wasn't just what we did. There were millions <laughs> who went through this. Um, and I think if we look at the role of the arts and how they also tell our stories, I think that's also critical. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing for me is I think the, the optimism and I think the resiliency of, uh, uh, you know, I think those are two things that, that really stand out to me in terms of, of my, my family story and faith, of course. Um, but, you know, like, and I know that my family, again, you know, I think about now to up and move to a completely different part of the country um, based on what you saw in the Chicago Defender or based on what you heard, you know, that's, that's huge. Um, and the fact that our ancestors, yours too, you know, they were willing to do it to improve their lives. Um, and so I think there's, you know, you know, not to, 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 to go back to President Obama, but this audacity of hope, but that they were willing to see something better. They were willing to leave um, and, and to go and try something new. And so I, I think that that optimism, I think that, you know, I don't know if it's the same for your family, but mine, I think it was passed down through the generation. So we are always optimists. And I think that's why we're, my family has always been supportive when I want to do something different or, you know, want to do something that no one's done before that they're not like, well, your sister didn't do that. <laughs> you know, you didn't do that. 
so I think just that spirit of, you know, of optimism. Um, and then again, I'll just close with faith. Um, faith is the thing that has tied my family together as well. Um, and faith is the thing that, that, that propels us forward. Um, and, and it, it, it's at the root of, of who we are as, as a, as a family. And I think it has, you know, guided us well. So I think I, I would just end with those two notes, the, the optimism that we can have based on what our ancestors did and what our, our relatives were able to do. And then having that faith, uh, to, to proceed. And, and I want to challenge our listeners to, to look up some of these names that you mentioned, Isabel Wilkerson, Jacob Lawrence, and learn more about the work that these individuals have done. And I also challenge our listeners to explore their own migration stories, start asking questions. Um, and what, what were some of those, those legacies that were left along the way? Uh, Dawn, thank you so much for this. This this was enlightening. Like I said earlier, this was a beautiful conversation. I think about family, about legacy, history, and again, how, how previous generations set strong foundations for the current generations and being able to acknowledge the contributions that many have made um, for this society and societies abroad. So once again, I just appreciate what you do and how you have contributed to this, this podcast discussion today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful.